Hello and welcome to the Center Pass podcast brought to you by Netball Draft Central. My name is Jared Gardner. I'm back this week and I'm joined um, on a video call by Taylor Malky and Sophie Taylor. Obviously, restrictions have changed in the last week since we since you two last recorded. Um, we're back into kind of a lockdown here in Victoria. Sophie, how are you going and uh, how'd you like the ANZ Premiership over the weekend? I'm going pretty well. I mean, it's not too much of a difference for me because I'm a bit of a homebody anyway. So I'm relishing the time at home. But um, yeah, ANZ was really good over the weekend. There was only the one blowout match. So um, have no complaints from me. Yeah, exactly. And Taylor, um, obviously this lockdown is a little bit different to the last time in that we've got live sport. Um, and obviously, as Sophie said, a lot of close games in the ANZ Premiership this week and, and a big draw to cap off the round. How did you see uh, the weekend of action? Well, I am definitely thanking my lucky stars that ANZ Premiership is happening and that New Zealand actually have control of COVID because it's allowing some live sport. It's giving us netball fans something to really look forward to and I'm end up end up watching a lot more games than I think I'm going to because the games are just so close and the competition is intense this season like I for me personally I definitely think it's kicked it up a gear from last year and you can see that every single time um, each team came out on court it was just a fierce battle it was great to watch exactly and uh, four of the five games over the weekend decided by less than three goals so um, a heap of exciting action to talk about we will leave that for the moment we will talk about Suncorp Super Netball to start off with and we were actually expecting a fixture announcement today. That's why our recording is a little bit delayed. Um, we worked, I think we were expecting about the first three or four rounds of the 2020 season to be announced. Um, but obviously there's been some changes in the last couple of hours, which mean that hasn't been released as of yet. Um, but what we have heard was that the West Coast Fever will start the Super Netball season in Adelaide and they'll spend their fir- at least the first three weeks on the road. So it looks more and more likely, and especially with the new restrictions that have been put in place, that uh, the hubs, the hub setup is going to be a go and Super Netball teams will be travelling interstate and will be hubbed up. How does that um, sit with you guys? I do find it kind of interesting that they've announced what's happening with WA first, considering that we know Victoria is in lockdown. The extreme measures states are going to in keeping Victorians out, um, yeah. <laughs> clearly because of the amount of uh, coronavirus or cases that we have here and for clearly safety and health reasons. So I do find it interesting that they've announced that this is what they're doing with WA and they're still clearly a little bit, uh, not behind trying to, but more trying to figure out where do where do they go with Victoria because the Magpies and Vixens, there's no update on what's happening with them. Clearly, we are all expecting them to go into a hub of some type. Uh, I'm assuming probably New South Wales. There was talk that they were going to go to WA, but if WA is going to to Adelaide, I doubt that Victoria is just going to head over there and have their own party. Uh, so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a very interesting season. Yeah, it's a bit of a bizarre situation. I don't really know how to take it at the moment. Obviously, there's so many changes that are happening so frequently in the world of netball. Basically, there's you just can't keep up with it at the moment. Obviously, I mean, yesterday the Guardian said that. Um, the Victorian teams would leave the state tomorrow, I think. I think the plan was for them to go to New South Wales. 
um, and then they have two weeks in lockdown there um, in complete quarantine before being able to take the course. So obviously that's a whole other kettle of fish because that means that those teams can't get out to train, they can't get outside uh, because they are locked down in their hotel or whatever the plan is. Um, so there's a lot of questions here about how it's going to work. And I think um, kind of adding in the entire new facet of WA not being able to be in WA, the fever having to travel as well, it's, it's just a whole load of confusion. It also brings in that element of financial factor in that we clearly know that the SSN is not one of the wealthiest sporting organisations. However, you know, so where do they go? Where, where do they get this money from? How do they support the competition? And how do they ensure that teams have access to a facilities, accommodation, flights, all of the necessities they need to make sure that the competition can go ahead to start with? Yeah, exactly. It's, um, don't envy the people in in the shoes that are, are making the decisions up the top at super netball because there's just so many updates and everything's changing daily so um as you said sophie it is it's said in the guardian that the victorian teams will probably go to new south wales but then the problem with that has become that borders between i think it's south australia and new south wales are um, aren't going to be opened like we assume they would be so it there's another spanner into the works of how do those teams that are going to be based in New South Wales, how do they get interstate if they have to play games? But yeah, there's a lot that is still yet to play out and hopefully we will get a fixture announcement or at least for the first couple of weeks in the, in the coming days because there's less than three weeks until the season actually starts. So um, teams will want a bit of clarity in terms of who they're going to be playing first up and, and where they're going to be in Australia um, most of all so there's a lot to play out and we will keep you updated as that does come to light obviously if that fixture announcement does come a bit later in the week we will try and record a little uh, special episode to uh, dissect that fixture and see what that means for for all eight clubs the only perk of us not being able to catch up is that it means that we can record an extra day if we need to so yeah exactly yeah that is all on Suncorp Super Netball this week there hasn't been any other major news we're, we're all just waiting for that fixture and waiting hopefully for the first of August when the season does start we will move on to the ANZ Premiership now and as I said the as we said at the top um, a really close round of action uh, four out of the five games as I said decided by under three goals and the first re- uh, first game of the round sorry uh, was the Pulse up against the Steel, and it was a Pulse win in the end, 40-37, to 37, um, but probably uh, not as big a win as what you would have expected from the Pulse. It was definitely the first time I think the Pulse have actually really been challenged throughout the season. I think the Steel, for some reason, seemed to have their number and really get under the, the Pulse's skin, and they seemed to just ruffle the feathers and and kind of get in the head of them. And you can see that within the first quarter, you know, the Steel, uh, although it was only 12-11, they still did enough to, to kind of get in there and show, okay, we're not just going to lie down. And it was a really strong performance by the Steel. I was quite impressed. Yeah, I'm the same. I... I mean, I love an underdog, and I said this to Taylor the other day, I love an underdog. So seeing the steel really push the pulse, um, I was so impressed with, um, especially uh, the likes of Jen O'Connell. She was so good, and it was so sad to see her go down in the last, like, two minutes of the game. Um, 
Obviously, she was playing in goal shooter, had a really good game. She wasn't at her most accurate, but she was following up her shots really well. And um, Steele really did have that momentum. And then I think they expected to have the um, possession when the play restarted and it was called a throw in instead. So it completely changed any chance of the steel really coming back into that match. And it, it was just a really complete performance from the steel. They won the first and last quarter. They brought it back. They, they looked like they were losing for patches and then they were always able to kind of um, bring back that pressure and really um, just continue on with some really consistent defensive work. So I was really impressed with the steel. I think you make a really good point in that they were able to keep with the polls. They obviously, as you said, won the first quarter and won the last quarter. And it looked like in that second and third quarter that it looked like the polls could really run away with it and look like they obviously have that star power. You wouldn't have blamed the Steel for being overwhelmed and um, just letting them get a run on. Obviously, the Steel have only won one game this season, so it has been disappointing, but um, a really impressive performance to be able to, to bring it back and keep in touch and um, it would do a lot for the confidence of that entire team. Yeah, I agree. I think that the main thing is that, like you touched on there, Jared, is the fact that the Pulse in the second and third quarter scored 11 goals in each quarter, whereas the Steel only managed eight goals and nine goals. And you can't really win games scoring less than double figures in a quarter. And that that was the same in the in the fourth for the steel. They managed eight goals. So if they can increase that ac- that accuracy or that potency to goal, that'll be great. However, it's going to be a really big struggle now. Clearly, we know that it was um, Georgia Heffernan went down uh, not long ago in the goal shooting circle with, and she's been ruled out for the season with an ACL and MCL and meniscus injuries. So that's not great for her. But then you've also got Jen O'Connell with a suspected knee injury of some sort. So it's going to be up to the steel to really try and find something or someone that can bring that, um, that, that wealth of shooting to the goal circle, because in the end you can't win games scoring only 37 goals. And I think that's an area that some teams in particular, the steel will need to hope to work on. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, you make a great point in, in terms of their accuracy specifically. And obviously um, having shooters going down with injuries is just um, a horrible sight. And it's, it sucks for the steel that they've had um, now is it two shooters go down. So it's, it's a long way back. They're already uh, last on the ladder. So um, they were really desperate and looking for a win in this one. Uh, but just unfortunately couldn't get it. They did, uh, I think, back up the next day, and um, that is the second game of the round. They played up against the Northern Stars, and uh, unfortunately it was a bit of a bigger result. This one was the blowout of the round. Um, the Stars won this one 48-39, and I think it just is unfortunate that the Steel were able to get so close in their first game of the week and uh, have backed it up with this performance, but the Stars are really impressive in this game. Yeah, I really liked um, what the Steel did in the first game. And obviously a lot of that second game was down to the fact that they had to completely change their game plan and switch it up entirely. So obviously um, McCollin had to be their main shooter and she's a great player, but she's not a goal shooter and they really need someone strong to hold down the circle in, in goal shooter. And she can switch up and be there if she needs to be. But it's a completely different circle game plan than what they've been practicing quite quite clearly by this performance. And it it was it was a bit disappointing, but obviously you kind of have to take into consideration that that is a major like cog in attack that is um, down. And obviously now there's two 
goalers that are completely down and out, probably out for the season again with O'Connell. So, yeah, it, it was frustrating. But at the same time, you can't discount the work that uh, the Stars did because the Stars were really consistent in this one and I was quite impressed with them. I was going to touch on Grace Namana, who came on for the for the steal. I think it was in that uh, midway through that third term, and she really impressed. She'd literally just flown up that morning to be with the team. So for someone to come on and shoot the way she did, she ended up, okay, six goals from eight attempts at 75%. It's not a huge performance, but for someone that's literally walked into the team that day and having to find connections immediately, that's a really difficult position to be put in. And she was confident in herself. She knew where she wanted the ball. She was you know, grew um, in stature almost as the game went on, like, okay, yeah, I do deserve to be here. So I definitely think that that was a positive to come out of the performance from the steal. And then you've also got the likes of Gina Crampton and Shannon Saunders, who really took ownership through that midcourt for the steal throughout the game. But like you said, Soph, it really did come down to the, the fact that the Stars were just, um, they were unrelenting in their pressure. I think that's the main thing is that they just didn't let up and their accuracy to post with Maya Wilson was just phenomenal. 36 goals from 39 attempts at 92%. You can't stop her. And especially the fact she was shooting from range and sinking them. It's just, it's a really concerning sign, I must say, for opposition teams or looking at Australia in years to come, to come up against someone like Wilson, who is clearly um, becoming one of the most prominent shooters in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, you also look at like the defensive, sorry, you also look at the defensive pressure there from, I mean, Storm Purvis, Oceane Maihi, who had two really good games. Both of them picked up three games and pretty sure Maihi didn't play a full game at that. Um, and then uh, Mili Riolu Buchanan and uh, Kate Burley both picked up two games as well. So it was just a really good defensive effort as well. And obviously they were really able to exploit the missing connections um, for the steal, which has been, I mean, kind of apparent in the last couple of games, but it was really, it was really pulled apart in this one. So yeah, it was, it's, it's a real concern for Steele, who obviously are clutching at straws at this point. Um, but yeah, great job by the stars. I think this kind of steel side and obviously the situation that they're in with their injuries now, it almost reminds me of the Firebirds from 2019 in that they've got yep. this goal attack who is had a great game. She shot 27 of 29 in this one. And um, you'd say like you'd be happy with your goal attack shooting that, but just unable to get that second option. And um, Gretel Tippett obviously had that long run where she was shooting... 30-plus goals a game in Super Netball last season, but just didn't have... Romelda Aiken was out. She just didn't have that extra shooter there with her. Um, so it is unfortunate for the steer because Khalifa McCollin is doing such a great job. But um, uh, as you said, up the other end, Maya Wilson, it's just... She's a force to be reckoned with. And as you said, Taylor, it's not just defenders in the ANZ Premiership who will be uh, scared coming up against her. It's international defenders for years to come because uh, when she shoots like that 36 of 39 as you said it's just almost unstoppable because um you just don't know how to defend her you want to double team her but then you leave jamie hume open so um there's infinite possibilities and it's going to be a scary sight um to come up against this northern stars team uh we will move on now and the third game of round five was the stars up against the magic 
and it was the Stars getting their second win of the weekend. Uh, it was a little bit closer this time, but uh, getting the win 45 of 43 and another dominant performance from Maya Wilson. Yeah, pretty much. You said that, like, you hit the nail right on the head there because once again it was Wilson that just stood up and commanded the ball. 39 goals from 43 attempts. You, you just can't question that. Her movement is phenomenal. She is... You'd think looking at her that she would just be a holding shooter, but she is so much more than that. And I think that's where people or defenders especially kind of get caught and focus on the fact, oh, she'll just hold. But then they're surprised by the fact that she will move and that she will shoot further from range. And then, you know, she can be multiple options. She's not just a one faceted type of player. She's happy to get on the move. She's happy to create you know, different options inside the circle. And I think that was also evident in the fact that Jamie Hume had a really lacklustre performance, six goals from 11. She really wouldn't be happy with that type of percentage, only at 55%. But the fact that Wilson was able to absorb that pressure and kind of just allow Hume to to get out and, and deliver the ball into her and, you know, kind of create a moving circle was just, it was a complete performance in the goal circle from those two, I'd say. Yeah, I know I already brought up um, Oceane Mahi in the last game, but she came on in uh, and changed the game in 16 minutes. And I was really, really impressed by that performance. Um, she racked up two intercepts and I think both of them were in the last quarter and the Magic came in with a lead in the last quarter. They had a five-goal lead. They were down by three at halftime. I think it was three. Yeah, it was something uh, like that. And then were up by five at... Um, three-quarter time having shot 18 goals to 10 and it's it's just that that thing for magic is their consistency they're not able to put on a four-quarter performance and you can see that frustration in um some of the players uh and so it was it was frustrating to see that uh that win slip away from the magic but it was just that complete performance from the stars and having a young defender who can come on and change the game with a drop of a hat just pick up where she left off from the night before, um, I was really impressed. But that being said, um, I do want to bring up um, Kelsey McPhee. She was really good for the Magic and she's had a few really slow weeks and I think some sloppy weeks with Magic. Um, She and Abigail Artu-Miafau have been a little bit um, inaccurate and not necessarily getting their um, volume up all that well. But I was really, really impressed with McPhee and that, um, I mean, it was kind of the same thing as Mahi. She built on that through her second game, which obviously is coming up. But yeah, it was it was really frustrating to watch this game because, again, I'm always going for the, for the underdog. So I really wanted Magic to come out on top and it just didn't happen this time. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with McPhee there, especially in that third quarter when the Magic were on top. They were able to get the ball into her and she shot 12 or 13 in the third quarter alone. So... Um, if they can get that um, that ball into her more consistently and, and able to get those shots up um, every quarter. If, they, if they're scoring 18 goals every quarter, they're going to win every game. But um, you can't afford to just have that one burst of energy and, and hit the third quarter well. But in the first, second and fourth, they scored 10, 8 and 7. So uh, it's going to be tough to win games when you're doing that in, in three quarters. So um, a, a great game overall. And it was great to see the Stars come back and obviously... Um, cap off their weekend with a second win. So uh, a great win for them. And 
we will move on to the fourth game of the round now. And this one, another close one, uh, one goal in it. In the end, it was the Tactics who got the win by one goal, 41-40 to 40, over the Mystics. And this was a bit of a topsy-turvy game. There were um, the teams traded quarter wins for this game. And um, just unfortunately, the Mystics couldn't get on top um, once the final siren sounded. It was arguably one of the most, I want to say shocking, but I mean shocking in the way that no one could capitalise on anything. Each team generated so much ball that it would swing up and down the court. It was honestly, you couldn't you couldn't watch the game without getting stressed because you just felt like on the edge of your seat the entire game. In It was just, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. I was watching the game just going, oh my goodness, can someone please just get some composure? Because even the more experienced players were just throwing the ball away. And I think that is a credit to just how defensive both of these teams are. But yeah, it was just, it was a mind boggling affair for me. I couldn't keep up with what was happening. And I think, um, I think the whole, I think it was kind of offset from the very first quarter in the sense that the Mystics didn't even start with Grace Wickey in at goal shooter, like arguably one of the, the greatest goal shooters in the competition at the moment. They decided to opt for a different lineup. And I, I think that kind of, um, it caught the Mystics almost off guard as much as it did the tactics because they couldn't find their their rhythm in attack. Yeah, it was it was really frustrating frustrating this game because obviously you look at the goaling I mean some of the younger goalers for Mystics I mean they're all young but you look at um, obviously Grace Wickey has a lot of volume Savior Tui is a really quality goal attack Asher Grapes is a good feeder but when you can't get the when it's Grapes and Tui in the circle together and they can't get the ball to Tui then Grapes is having to shoulder that goaling load and she hasn't been able to apply that um, scoreboard pressure at all this season. She's been maybe putting up one between one and four goals a game maybe um, for the entire season so far. So it, that obviously throws a massive spanner in the works when you remove the quality holding shooting position of Wiki who can really command that goal circle and control it and really dominate that possession there and... Um, obviously she's got the height as well to get the rebounds and then you remove that entirely and you the mystics just seem to fall apart and obviously wiki it didn't take long for them to put her on but that that short amount of time they weren't able to get that kind of dominant uh they couldn't find that rhythm Exactly. I mean, they shot six goals in the first quarter. Yeah, the Tactics only shot eight, so it wasn't a terrible quarter. But in the scheme of things, six goals in a quarter is not good enough for a team that's top three on the ladder. Especially, you speak about six goals in the first quarter to eight. Obviously, it's not that big of a difference. But when you look at the end of the game and they only lose by one goal, um, having Wiki on in those first couple of minutes just could have got that extra one, extra two goals that could have won them the game. So it is a little bit of a weird choice that they went with. They went with the outer for the first couple of minutes. And especially, um, I could understand if you were coming up against maybe, say, what a weaker defence um, in terms of their opposition. Yeah, but when you're coming up against Jane Watson and Temelisi Fakahokotau, like, you, you've got to put your best foot forward and put your best shooter in. And, and Wiki is that. And, um, yeah, a strange decision. 
Well, that opening quarter alone, um, Watson managed two gains, two assists, and two deflections, while Fakahakatao got one gain, one intercept, and three deflections. So that's just a testament to clearly how strong their defensive unit is, but also how much pressure they were applying on the likes of Tui and Grapes to just deny them that easy access into the into the circle. And I think by the stage that the second quarter came around, when we when Wiki came onto the court, the defensive mind of the tactics had like the combination had already settled in. They already could pick up on the on the ball placement from um, Tawava. They could already read Taylor Earls through the mid court. So that that kind of um, the link that you normally see, which is so strong between the Mystics um, goal shooter in Wiki and and the mid court, was already kind of behind the eight ball, if that makes sense, because the defensive defensive unit of the tactics had already caught up to it and already had a rhythm, so they could find it easier to keep that that pressure throughout the game. But I mean full credit to the Mystics, they did make it they did uh cause the tactics to to really push to the end. Yeah, absolutely. I think they the Mystics did definitely tighten up after the first quarter. Obviously, they weren't able to win the game, but um, they put a lot more pressure on the goal circle in particular. I mean, the, th- the thing is, you look at um, Ali Bird and Tapia Selby-Rickett. Selby-Rickett in particular is a quality player, but she's a real confidence player. And to get ahead of the eight ball, basically, against the tactics, you need to get inside uh, Selby-Rickett's head. Um, and I think they did that better later in the game. I mean, you look at Phoenix Karaka, she got seven gains and Fitzpatrick with three gains. So they they did produce that turnover ball. They probably didn't have the inaccuracy that they were kind of hoping for from um, Selby Rickett because she tends to, she does like a long bomb and when she's not accurate, she's off. Um, And so she potentially didn't miss as many goals as they were kind of hoping for and they just couldn't generate as much ball back as they wanted to. But that's not to say that they didn't put in a solid defensive effort. It was just that first quarter in particular where they really weren't able to apply pressure on the scoreboard. And that's kind of what did them in. Yeah, I think you make a great point. And um, it's it's great for the tactics to kind of see that um, that evenness across their two shooters because obviously there are, there are a lot of teams where it is very dominant in terms of one shooter and that can be shut down pretty easily so um, a great job from the tactics and, and they'd be pretty happy to walk away with a win in this game the final game of the round was the tactics once again up against the Magic, the second game for both of these sides obviously this weekend and this was um, an absolute nail-biter, ended in a draw I'm pretty sure the first one for this season um so the second one second one second one yeah the second draw uh this season and yeah a a nail biter it was one of the most intense games again i was this one i was a hundred percent backing the magic because wow they came out with some extreme intensity and if i was the magic coach i would be putting sam winders in center every single time i take the court because she just generated so much more ball, so much more uh, tenacity and excitement through that midcourt. The the tactics were forced to kind of bow to the way Winders wanted to play. And Winders is that physical, intercepting, just in-your-face type of players. And they almost didn't know how to contend with her at times. And I think that was a key reason why the Magic 
at stages got on top and probably a key reason why it ended up being a draw because she was just a gut running machine. Oh, she would have been just so impressed with her with her side. I think after the last game, she was saying, you know, we're giving ourselves as many opportunities as we can, but we're falling short. So she might see this as a just falling short, but I definitely think it was an improved effort by the tactics and they sh- uh, by the ma- magic, and they should definitely take a lot of confidence out of this game because it was really impressive. Yeah, I'll be honest, I was shocked that Winders didn't win player of the match. She 100% deserved it. I think she said at halftime or three-quarter time um, that she wanted her teammates to be chasing every single ball. And she she led by example doing it. She racked up five pickups um, and was just so dominant through the midcourt. And she, she really is that kind of player who goes, I'm not going to tell you what to do and not do it myself. She's going to do it every single time. And I think it was really her constant pushing. I would have liked to see her in centre for longer. She got switched around to wing defence later in the match and switched back to centre. And it kind of put things a little bit off centre. Um, But yeah, the magic... (laughs) that wasn't intentional um (laughs) but yeah the magic were really impressive and to to go head to head with tactics and they shot a goal in the last seconds to make it a draw I'm pretty sure yeah they did that um yeah evened it up uh they held up the tactics at the next center pass to um stop them from getting into their attacking third I just thought the magic was so good and they're getting better every week and you can see those connections getting better and better uh, that being said, the tactics were still good too, but they, they seemed a little bit down and out on their usual output. They didn't quite put in the same kind of performance as we saw the night before where they were ultimately coming up against a much stronger opposition. Not to say that the Magic don't have strong players, but they haven't had those connections for most of the season. They've only racked up the one win. Um, so it says a lot that the tactics weren't able to match it with Magic that entire game. Yeah, I think this is uh, this was just such a, a fun game to watch. Obviously, coming down to those very like those very final seconds, um, and I think it was Latu Miafau who shot that uh, final goal yeah. to to even the scores up. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting result. Obviously, we, none of us expected it, but um, both teams can kind of take their own positives out of this game and, and go into next week and go into the rest of the season and look to improve on a few things. But um, this is what we like to see. We like to see these um, these nail biters, but it does bring back that conversation of do we do we would we rather extra time to decide and come away with a winner in this game? Um, to me, per- to be perfectly honest, I think that extra time should just be for finals because that's just like my traditionalist views. I think that that's where it really counts. Not saying that um, it doesn't count the winner, like the winner doesn't count during the season but I think it also keeps it that little bit extra like that bit closer and keeps people more interested and there's more at stake then and it just brings in a whole heap of other factors so for me personally I think we just keep um, extra time to to finals and things like that but then again who are we the fans don't really know much (laughs) the the people the higher people at B know how they want the game to be run be run and 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 all of that so I don't know who knows? Maybe yeah. they'll shock us. It's it's a really interesting one because I I'm not a massive fan of the extra time, 
But when you think about it in a World Cup scenario, seeing teams um, have to fight every single second and then going into extra time, I'm like, I do see that. Like, I do see the hype and why people want extra time. Bring that kind of um, intensity into every game of the season rather than just in a final scenario. So I, I do get where people are coming from, but at the same time, imagine if you're playing for 60 minutes, or I mean, it's what, 48 minutes, I think, um, this season for ANZ. Imagine playing 48 minutes and then being expected to play an extra five either side and then potentially go into more extra time. I mean, in such a short season already where a lot of teams are playing multiple games around, I just don't think it's feasible. Um, but I mean, who knows? Who knows for the future, honestly? <laughs> yeah, this one we'll have to wait and see. Um, but that is all in terms of round five action in the ANZ Premiership. Uh, we'll just quickly go through the round six matches coming up this week. Um, we'll just do a quick um, discussion on each of them and a quick tip. Uh, the first game of the round is the Mystics up against the Northern Stars. Um, I think both teams have a, a strong case for this game, and I think it's going to be a real close one. For me personally, I'd say the Mystics should have the upper hand given their experience in the defensive end with Karaka and Fitzpatrick. I think that the two of them know how to get inside Wilson's head and if they can nullify Jamie Hume out the front and just pretty much isolate Wilson as the main shooter, then it will be hard for the Stars to really generate a winning score. So for me, I'm going with the Mystics and also given if they start um, Wiki, it should be easy for them. Yeah, I agree. I think Mystics have it. Um, they have actually already played this season. They played back in round one, obviously, before everything kind of went a little bit crazy. So, um, but yeah, they played back in round one. Um, don't really know what to expect this time around, though, because last time they played, they had Bailey Mez in um, goal shooter or goal attack, sorry, for um, the Mystics. So it is an interesting one factoring that in. I still think that if the Mystics start Wiki, they should get it done fairly easily. The oh, I'm going to say Mystics as well. Um, the second game of the round, it's going to be the Mystics' second one. It's uh, Mystics up against the Pulse. This one is, well, at the moment, it's the uh, first and second on the ladder going head-to-head. So um, last time these two teams did play, it was the Pulse who got it done pretty easily, seven goals in the end. Uh, do you think it's going to be a similar result this time? I don't think it will be that margin again. Um, it will really be down to whether the Mystics' defence can hold up Ekinazio in particular. Dunn, we've seen a few matches where she's been subbed out for Metuaro. Um, so I'm not so worried about that. But Ekinazio is a hard player to stop when she's on song. And she's... The, the really quality thing about Ekinazio is that she's not that typical goaler who's un, who's almost afraid to get into the action. She will shove her player back if they're contacting her. So she, she's a really fun player to watch in the way that she's a constant, um, almost thorn in the side of any team that she plays because she's a physical threat as well as a moving threat. So I think if they can get on top of Ekinazio, they have a really good chance, but if they can't, I can see Pulse staying undefeated. Yeah, I'm kind of along the similar thought pattern that I think that the Pulse should get the job done. I think also the fact that their defensive unit is so strong in the fact that they have Kardenberger, they have um, 
Katrina Rore, and then they have Kelly Jury with Jury finding playing some exceptional netball as of late. She will match up really well against Wiki in the sense that they're both uh, strong in the air and you know they're very similar in game style. So I think if the pulse defense can kind of shut down Wiki and also take the likes of Sabia Tui or whether it's Asha Grapes that gets the start, take them out of the game, I think then the pulse should have the upper hand and they clearly have that that shooting prowess to to hit the scoreboard with ease. Yeah, I think uh, you make some great points. I think it's going to be it's it's always tough to see the pulse losing at all, but um so I think they're they're probably the team to beat and they're going to win this one again. Uh the next game of the round is the pulse up against the tactics. Uh now this will be the pulse's second game in as many days, so we don't know. Is there that chance that they do slip up? Um, surely they've got to slip up at some point this season. Um, is this is this the game that they do it? I'm hoping that um, that the tactics can kind of get ahead of the pulse in this one. That being said, though, going back to round one again, they also played, um, but it was a much bigger scoreline that time, forty-one to fifty-three, and the um, pulse obviously reigned supreme because otherwise they wouldn't be undefeated. But at the end of the day, I think um, the tactics do have the talent there. It's just they really lack that consistency. They either put out a three and a half quarter performance or it's like one quarter. So <laughs> I, I, I hope, um, again, the underdog factor, I hope that the tactics can kind of get the upper hand here and then keep it consistent and really defeat the pulse in all, in all facets of the game rather than just patches or quarters here and there. I think the real battle will be through the midcourt for me because you look at both sides and they have very strong, strong key players. For example, Poi last, uh, just the round that passed, she was really strong in her first game. She was literally had the ball on a string, but her opponent will probably be Claire Kirsten from the Pulse, and she is a phenomenal athlete. She just runs all day, every day, while also Maddie Gordon in wing attack for the Pulse. She is really developed into a speedy, like, just explosive mid-quarter for the Pulse. So I think if the tactics can kind of stop that flow through the mid-court, then it kind of leaves either their defence or their attack kind of coming up short there's no way to link the two so if the tactics can get on top of that then they should get the job done however I think that the Pulse just have way too much experience and have a lot of bench quality bench players as well that can come on and play a role which you'd probably expect considering it is their second game of the round yeah it's going to be a very interesting matchup but uh, for me I think the Pulse will just get it done once again um the fifth game, fourth game of the round, sorry, is the Steel up against the Magic. Uh, an interesting game here. I think um, these two teams, uh, bottom two on the ladder, so fifth and sixth on the ladder at the moment, um, a, a great opportunity for either one of those teams to get this extra win and really push that um, those top four sides. Uh, what do you guys think of this one? Magic for me. I think that they have been in ripping form. They've just fallen short literally the past few times just tiny tiny little bit away so I think if they can somehow just pull out that four quarter performance I know it's a cliche in saying that if you put out a four quarter performance you'll get the job done but I really do think that the magic have the structure to do so and I'm also really excited to potentially see maybe Georgia Tong starting on a more regular basis 
and having Winders in centre. I think if they start with that that lineup, that should get them over the top of the steel. Yeah, I agree. I think the steel could have had a chance if they had um, O'Connell in there, but now missing their tall timber at the post, I think um, they just won't be able to kind of solidify those connections in attack with enough time to really be able to challenge. Um, yeah, to to really be able to uh, challenge the magic this or next week, this coming week. I don't know when it is. This week. Yeah, it, it's obviously going to be a tough end of the season now with uh, two shooters out for the steel. Uh, the final game of the round is a steel once again up against the tactics. Um, on paper, this looks like it, it probably should be a pretty easy tactics win, but you never know what can happen. Uh, what do you guys think of this game? I don't know what to expect from this one because the tactics, uh, from, from what we've kind of seen, is they're coming out firing in one game but not in the other when they play two games. So I think it's a matter of if, this, if the Tactics play a, an average game during the weekend, the Monday night one, they'll be great. But I think if they play an average game, a, a really good game on the weekend and the Monday night one, they'll probably be a little bit tired. So, I mean, I'd, I'd really love to be proven wrong. So obviously, go. I mean, Tactics, you do your thing. But again, I think Steel just won't have the time to really uh, solidify those connections. I just don't think, especially the calibre of defence in um, uh, with the Tactics. I mean, Fakahokatau and uh, Jane Watson together, you, they're, they're really, really difficult. And Fakahokatau was a little bit inconsistent over the first few rounds and has really um, rounded out this weekend in particular and last weekend. So I, I think they just won't have the movement and the kind of vision and, and ability to make space um, in attack the steel. I just don't think there's a chance. Yeah, I'm kind of along the same path in the fact that the tactics just have so much class on court. And that's not to say that the Southern Steel don't, but considering the amount of injuries that they do have at the moment, um, and it's never easy to try and find a goal, find a player to to replace, especially when she's your starting shooter and she's been as prolific as she has. I think that the tactics should get the job done quite easily here. However, they are known to have their moments and kind of just completely fall off the face of the earth and then reappear moments later. So I think this will probably be a lot closer than we anticipate. Who's your tip, though? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going tactics. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, tactics. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to tactics as well. It is just um, too hard to see the steel getting up in this one. Uh, that is all for round six, and that is all we have time for this week on the Centre Pass podcast. Do go follow us at Centre Pass Pod uh, on Twitter and do go to netball.draftcentral.com for all your world netball news and reviews. Um, that is it for this week. We will speak to you next week.